Doing it live on a Tuesday, Bill Bishop, Johnny Ginter. It is the Dubcast. Welcome on into the program. Buddy, we got a little potpourri for the kids today because we're, we're in this. This is an interesting spot. It's the middle of February. It's the week after signing day. And for the first time, and we're going to talk a little Buckeye basketball, for the first time probably since Thad Mott has been the coach at Ohio State, and it's, this is sort of the, tr- the, the case, they're playing pretty much meaningless basketball games. I mean, you can yeah. kind of – Tim Shoemaker, our great, who's, who's doing the beat for us on 11 Warriors, was trying to talk me into – that they're still in it for the NCAA tournament. And then I looked at the schedule and it's like at Maryland, at Michigan State, you're gonna have to beat Wisconsin here. You got to beat Indiana here. I just can't, win yeah, out. it's hard at four and seven and fourteen and ten. I you know, I can't get there. Do you think that is you think it's is that false hope? To, yeah. to still think that there's I don't you think? I mean yeah. Tim was really trying to sell me on it. God bless him. And but I couldn't get there. And so no. we're kind of in a weird spot where we've got meaningless basketball almost. Uh, the rest of the way for the Ohio State basketball team. Come on, Tim. No, no. Look, Michigan was great, and I thought they played really yeah, well in fun. general. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the defense was a lot better against a good three-point you know, shooting team than, than a lot of people would have expected, but they're not. The schedule's too rough, and I look, one game does not a streak make. They, they've got to build on something, and that, that time has passed. I, I think I'm completely yeah. on your side with this. That's pretty much... NIT or bust, and I think a lot of people <laughs> might prefer bust at this point, so they have to pay attention to the NIT. So yeah. I, I'm I I'm sorry, Tim, but that's not happening. Tim said one thing. He said that I thought did make sense, and it was a really good point. He said that even Thad had brought this up a few times that they can't build on anything. That every yeah. game is kind of its own individual bubble. That when you think right. that they get it turned around, that it, there's no carryover from game to game. They don't take the good stuff from one game and improve upon it to the next. It's almost like every game starts from scratch with this team. And it's been this way for a little while. Um, but I thought that was a very good point. I mean, it's Rutgers on Wednesday. Um, and and then it gets hard. I mean, it, the schedule gets very difficult, you know, from the Big Ten standpoint. So, yeah, you're, it's a weird spot in the calendar. And it, it, we're going to talk a, quite a bit of football with Urban and, and some of the stuff that's going on. But um, this is a natural segue into the next thing, because one of the topics that we've discussed a lot on the show has been, you know, the basketball program and the state of it. And is there a conversation that needs to take place between Gene or whoever the power broker is right now at Ohio State and Athletics and Thad and saying, look, at the very least, you got to change the staff up. Uh, you can't continue down this road, which will be a difficult conversation because Thad in in the eyes of him and the eyes of many built the program um and so that'll be a very difficult conversation if it's one that takes place it's probably one that's deserved after now four straight years of this kind of meandering basketball um but what jumped out to me was what happened last friday at the shot and that was ohio state wrestling taking on penn state wrestling um the last two national champions in the sport um fifteen thousand people yeah, we're in attendance at a wrestling match at Ohio State, right? And it's not my bag, right? It's not. I I've never I never liked it. It was never something that I uh, cared too much for in any way. But when you cover or if you attend a match like that, you're on the edge of your seat the whole time. Oh, uh, yeah. you would be because the drama of it, and and the amount of respect I have for wrestlers in the one on one grueling i mean the 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 amount of effort and work that that they put in i don't know that i've there's nothing else really quite like it and then the one-on-one and then you're also part of a team i mean it's tremendous and i have to imagine that that friday with fifteen thousand people now penn state handled business 
but Kyle Snyder, who, who's the best wrestler on the planet in his weight class, which is in a, that's not hyperbole. He actually is, um, you know, he put on a show and it's just, it was kind of a sobering thing, I would think, for the basketball team because I don't know if the basketball team has legitimately drawn fifteen thousand all year, my friend. They so I actually looked this up because I was I was doing some stuff for the weekend. Okay. I was the weekend editor, Good. and <laughs> they well, yeah, no, Michigan State game got them over seventeen thousand, so they packed okay. the shot and scene center for that one. But on average, they are not hitting that. They are not getting to fifteen thousand. I mean, clearly, yeah, and right? I wonder what the. What's the actual attendance? Because I know sometimes they'll announce eleven, and I'll ask people, right. and it's more like seven or eight. Here's what I think. So here's what I think significant about fifteen thousand going to the wrestling match. First of all, yeah. you've got the best wrestler in the world, pound for pound. I don't care what weight class. Kyle Snyder is unbelievable. Like he is insane to watch. If you have any kind of passing interest in wrestling, you have to take an opportunity to watch this guy wrestle at some point. Uh, he is just completely unstoppable. He's unbelievable. Um, the second thing is, is that you also have, I think, a really entrenched, but maybe not as vocal love for wrestling in the Midwest, especially in places like Ohio and you know Iowa and Indiana and, sure. and Illinois. And and I think those people will come out for a guy like Kyle Snyder. I think there they are easily yeah. fifteen thousand people in the Columbus area who will go see this guy wrestle, no matter who he's wrestling. And then when you put them against Penn State, which is just obviously a, a big program themselves, uh, that's going to draw a lot of people. I just I think it's awesome because I love to see non-revenue sports getting that kind of attention. Yes, and I also yes, love yes. the fact that it's such an international sport. It's not a niche thing, you know, in, with, just within the United States. It's something that pretty much everybody around the world can enjoy. I mean, people, yeah. people around the world know more about Kyle Snyder than they know about JT Barrett. Now, as insane Absolutely as that may be to say, you know, to... Absolutely a, true. Right. To somebody in the state of Ohio, you talk to other people like in, in you know, Eastern Asia and, and Central Asia and things like that. They're going to know who Kyle Snyder is because yes. of how good he is and how dominant he is. And I just, you know, I was watching the matches and, and obviously kind of posting some stuff on the site about it. And, and Kurt, our, you know, our, our great uh, wrestling writer, was putting out all kinds of stuff. It's an exciting sport. And the last thing I want to say about this real quick, I love sports that have like meats. So like gymnastics, swimming, yeah. wrestling. I love the idea that you have a one-on-one -on -one competition or even like kind of a race, but it's all contributing to a larger success of a team. I just think that's a An really individual cool sport that's also the team benefits. In other exactly. Ways, right? And it, it's yeah. you have that individual drama that you get in like tennis and some of these other sports, but you also have the team dynamic. And I just think it's a really, really fun thing to watch. So if you're one of those 15,000 people who are out there, you saw an incredible show, even though Penn State just stomped all over Ohio State. Uh, it was just is, a great atmosphere. Let me ask, let me awesome. ask you this with, with, in, re, in regard to Snyder, because I find him fascinating, uh, not just yeah. because he's the best in the world at what he's doing, and he is, um, but it's fascinating to me that a, a 21, 2021, 20, what is he, 2021, something like that? Like yeah. he's still in school. Like this guy right. has won a gold medal. He's won a world championship. He is the best. This the 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 example would be is if all of a sudden LeBron James was at Ohio State after yeah. he won an NBA championship, right? right? I, mean, I mean, I'm not overstepping, yeah. right? I mean, that's the no, equivalent. I mean, LeBron's the best basketball player in the world. Let's say he wins with the Cavaliers and then decides to go finish his education at Ohio State. That's <laughs> that's Kyle Snyder. Now it's different because right. the money's not there in wrestling, and uh, we all saw that Fox catcher thing, which still hurt just. Horrors from that with Steve Carell yeah, as that dude. I mean, that, that and the thirty for thirty on that was just just crazy, um, just nuts. But so there's not money in it, and so th this is student athlete at its purest form. 
And there's a few places where this is going on. Katie Ledecky is still swimming for Stanford. Mm-hmm. And she's just, winning races by really 57 by seconds, right? Yeah. Like she's I, winning by a minute. watching her swim college meets because it's not even. Right. Like, it's like an adult. Well, what's, <laughs> right. But what's she really going to do? Like she yeah. still has her eligibility. Thank goodness the NCAA changed that rule because she's able to keep her prize money, right? Right. I, I believe she's able to. So that's cool. Um, but that's what Kyle Snyder is. And you hit on a great point that there are 15,000 people that come out to watch him perform. And, and I just think it's great. And I'm fascinated. I would love to, to talk to him in an extended time and just try to get in the mind of somebody who's the best at their world at what they're doing. And they're still, and, and by the way, have already accomplished, he's already at the mountaintop. Like yeah. where does Kyle Snyder see himself in three years? Like he's already accomplished whatever your dreams were as a little kid wrestling, he's accomplished them. Right. Right. And what's really- he's a world champion. He's a gold medalist. He's an NCAA champion. He has, he has the Kale Sanderson thing. I mean, it's done, yeah. you know, like he's Dan Gable. Like it's, it's crazy. Well, it's not just, it's not just that he's that good. It, it, what's also crazy about it is that he's accomplished it at such a young age. Cause typically, That's typically it. in wrestling, it, it'll take you until your mid to late twenties to get to that point. If you're going to get well, to that point. Johnny, and, isn't that like, like Sanderson, who was perfect at Iowa State, who's ironically, yeah. I believe, still the head coach at Penn State, isn't he? I'm not sure. I mean, he he they basically had stole him from Iowa State to start the Penn State program, or you know, yeah. really start it, and then he's just won national championships, and I think he's still the head coach at Penn State, and he was undefeated at Iowa State, right. but he didn't win a gold medal when he was at Iowa State. Yeah, he didn't win a world championship when he was at Iowa State. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. this is what Kyle's doing is crazy, man. Well, I mean, be like if Usain Bolt showed up to run the hundred at Ohio State. <laughs> What's funny to me? Some people were giving him. Uh, we had some comments on the site where people were getting mad at him for attending this. There was a really prestigious uh, wrestling tournament in Russia that he attended and won, of course, and right. just dominated that. And some people were like, "Oh, you gotta! You're in Ohio State. What are you doing? You're taking time off the wrestling team." I'm like, what are you talking about? This guy can freelance all he wants. It does not matter at this point. Yeah, he's gracing us with his presence right now by being at Ohio State. We are we are serving his interests, not in the opposite direction there. Um yeah, he's that's just right. unbelievably good. He's head and shoulders above anybody else. And that's saying something because the Ohio State men's wrestling program is very, very good. They have some very good wrestlers on the team and have had some very good wrestlers on the team. Um, I think the, the, just the hiring of Tom the hiring of Tom, I mean that changed everything. He, he's yeah. such a cool guy that changed the program entirely. And um I mean, just what a hire. And Gene deserves credit for that. You know, yep. I mean, that's his hire. And 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 it was one of those things. It's a smart thing for Ohio State to invest in great high school wrestling in the in the state and in the area. Um, yeah, I mean, this is just it's one of the all time things. I, you know, it's funny. I, so as you were talking and we were going back and forth, I looked at Cale Sanderson, still the coach at Penn State, as I, I looked. But then I looked right. at his individual wrestling record. He has never won a world championship. So then I pulled up Kyle's. Kyle has won the Golden Grand Prix, the you know the meet in in Russia, the yes. World Grand Prix in Russia. He's won that. He won the Junior World, the Pan Am game, the gold medal, and the World Championships. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, what are we talking about here? Yeah, I mean, it's it's silly. It, I mean, he's he it's is just the a best cool thing, and I'm glad to see it anyway. So I'm that's a, I'm glad to see it rewarded with attendance. And juxtaposed with the struggles with Ohio State basketball, you know, we're sure. kind of in this weird spot. And I know people aren't f- that fired up about Ohio State basketball, but the wrestling team's cool. You get to watch the best in the world, what he does in Kyle. And then the men's volleyball team hasn't lost in like two years defending <laughs> national champions. Um, and, and that's kind of the next thing I want to touch on with you. So the coach has been, Bill Hansen, I believe is his name, been there 32 years. 
Um, one defending national champions. I think they've won 39 in a row. Some yeah. crazy number like that. Like they, they don't lose. Um, but this was a thing that was interesting to me. And I'll, I'll just ask this question to you. How does this happen? There's no <laughs> high school volleyball in the state of Ohio for boys. Yeah. How do you decide? How do you build? How do you build a volleyball powerhouse in a state where there is no high school volleyball? And, and how does it how do you decide to commit to it? How does it happen? I, I don't have the answer to it. We ran a story on it today on the on the 11 Warriors television show on Spectrum mm-hmm. Sports. And I asked Marissa, how's it happen? And who did the story for us? And, and she's, you know, that he had Hanson been there 32 years and, you know, they've had a lot of success. And I said, well, how many Ohio kids? And she said, two, two Ohio kids on the roster. Um, but how does that happen, Johnny? How do you how do you have the best vol- men's volleyball program and your six hour flight from, you know, California, where most of your team is, is made up of? Right. Uh, I'll tell you, I actually have I have an interesting story for you that I think might um, illuminate that a little bit. So I was in. Okay. I went to Hawaii, uh, I think about six years ago for a wedding. And we were there for a couple of weeks, actually. We were just kind of hanging out and, was, you know, kind of a cool family trip or whatever. And in the meantime, I looked up a guy who was a former Ohio State swimmer. And okay. I, I, you know, I talked to him a little bit and just, you know, got to meet him and, you know, hang out at his house for a little bit. And he was telling me about how a kid from, I mean, he was, he was in the boonies, right? As far as there is boonies in, in Hawaii. And he was just this kid who was swimming in like drainage ditches in Hawaii in between working in like the rice fields and stuff. And I guess Ohio State in the 1940s and 50s was trying to start up their their swimming program. And they just happened to hire a guy who had really, really strong connections to Hawaii. And so he would go back there occasionally and try to recruit kids that he knew were just swimming in ditches and like going out to the ocean and stuff. And in doing so, they built Ohio State Swimming into one of the best programs, swimming programs nationally, for that time period. Um, but it's only because he knew those kids from Hawaii and like coached them up and knew that they had natural talent and whatnot. My point is, is that I think some schools can have really good niche programs for things like yeah. men's volleyball or fencing or swimming or whatever, because you get guys who are in charge of these programs who just know people. They have connections all over the world. They have connections in I certain see. parts of the country and they can find that talent that maybe another school that might seem like a more natural fit can't get. And like I, when I was hearing the story from this guy, I was like, that's insane. Like, I, I can't believe yeah. we were just plucking dudes out of Hawaii but we did, and um, uh, I think his name is Sonny Tanabe, and it was just, it was just a really interesting story about how somebody from, you know, thousands of miles away from Ohio just ends up at Ohio State and ends up dominating swimming. Um, but again, same deal. I, I think you can find people. I think while you're, uh, you know, trying to build something, you make these connections because, like you, you know, we're talking about earlier, these guys aren't all from Ohio. Um, but no, if you know no, them, no, just you convince them to come on board, yeah. then you got a great program. Yeah. Yeah, so it's great. And I think Ohio, I think Columbus hosts at St. John hosts the men's NCAA championships this year. So yeah. potentially it could happen in Columbus. So you got this. The point of all of this is you have an, an historically good wrestler, uh, we're, you know, best that there's ever been at this age in the history of the sport. And you've got a men's volleyball team and you've got a basketball team, uh, a men's volleyball team that's probably going to win the national championship. And you've got a basketball team that's kind of playing out the string. So these are all things all things that are kind of going to be happening over the next couple of weeks. The other thing that never stops uh, is, is Ohio State football. 
and the interesting storylines coming out of that. And the first thing that I want to tackle on that front with you, my friend, was a tweet I saw from Urban Meyer within the last hour and a half. So Urban sends a tweet out that says, uh, it's a picture of three Ohio State players um, who are from Texas. And it says, keeping Texas connections going strong, right? Right. And this, to me, is is going to be one of the all-time conversations over the next year, two years, uh, five years. Because the, the battle for the state of Texas will be fought amongst... Uh, on the periphery, certainly Kevin Sumlin and, and, and Sumlin's a great recruiter, Sumlin and Saban and maybe Orgeron if he gets his act together, although he's got his own set of problems. Um, <laughs> but this, this, this is Tom Herman's state. If Tom Herman is to be what I believe he can be at Texas, then he has to own Texas. Right. That's the roadmap. And you, Texas is one of the few schools where you can recruit the state of Texas, and if you own it, you don't have to recruit anywhere else. It's not at Ohio in Ohio. You can't do that. Not quite. You can come close. Uh, I think you can do that in Florida, Texas, and California. I think those are the three schools. If you only recruit your home state and you get the, every guy you want in your home state, you can win a national championship and compete for one every year. And Tom's at the best school in the state to do that. And urban has owned Texas. And now not only is Tom down there, but Tim's down there too, who's a great recruiter in Texas. So a battle is battle lines are being drawn between Urban and his and his former offensive coordinator, who the offense hasn't been the same since he left. And I like the little shot across the bow. And also, Stan Drayton down there too. And this this was follow this follows the tweet from Tom with a picture of Ezekiel Elliott saying uh, developed essentially insinuating developed here that Tom Herman <laughs> and Stan Drayton developed Ezekiel right. Elliott like right. claiming Ezekiel Elliott in the state of Texas which is just hilarious. I mean, they both obviously <laughs> coached him. But this is where we are in recruiting with these two guys, and it's just the beginning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it, this is going to be insane because obviously, I mean, Urban Meyer has, has made Ohio State recruiting national. We've talked about that extensively, but that is going to be really, really interesting to see how they play off each other because, first of all, I mean, Tom Herman's obviously under enormous pressure at Texas to make Texas – a good competitive team in short order. And that has to start by locking down that state. Uh, I, I mean, I think he's going to have a lot Absolutely. of inroads to be able to do that because like you mentioned, his staff and the fact that he's Tom Herman is going to be extremely helpful for him. I mean, you know, being at Houston for a little bit also doesn't hurt, but I just, you know, I don't know. I don't really know who has the leg up in that, honestly. I mean, I don't know if kids in Texas have the same kind of attachment to the Longhorns as maybe they might have. 15, 20 years ago. So I don't know if that's right. a huge sell or not, but I, that will be really fascinating to see who actually has the, the advantage in that. Well, Tom can't lose it. I mean, no, the thing about that, it is yeah, Ur- Urban can, way higher. Yeah, way, way. Yeah, higher. I mean, Urban can, cannot get the best player in Texas and be fine. Right. You can't do that if, if you're Herman. You can't miss on, like, he's already getting heat in the state of Texas because he didn't close. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a story in the Austin newspaper about basically what happened with this recruiting class. Right. Uh, Yeah. What happened here? I mean, and and that's a good reminder for, and I'm a big fan of Tom and I think he'll be a huge success down there. But in, in, in urban's first class, he ended up with a top five class. Right. And, and Tom in his first class, I don't think he broke the top 20. 
And he was there about the same amount of time that Urban was at Ohio State. Urban had a couple weeks head start where he could recruit in early December, but that's about it. Um, but this th- this will be a fierce battle on the recruiting front. And the other thing that's interesting about it is, Johnny, they they both are going to have the same strategy because Tom took everything from Urban. So they're going to be selling the same thing just at two different places. So the, it it bears worth watching uh, over the ne- over the next several years and months, or months certainly, and then years as the two of these guys do battle in the state of Texas. I look forward to that a great deal. A lot of familiarity, obviously, between the two staffs. Um, the other thing that was interesting to me, my friend, on the Ohio State front, and Eric is writing this story for the site tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, same time the podcast drops, um, and that is Urban Meyer coaching with his best friends. Um, and in the case of Bill Davis, the best man at his wedding. So, I mean, a true best friend, but also people who he has great connections with. And what type of problems could that provide? And it might not provide any. Maybe he's great. The perception I have with Urban Meyer and his assistant coaches is that he rides him like Seabiscuit. I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of where I am with it, that he, that he rides these guys hard and has the whip and, and, and treats them like dogs. And so the question is, can you treat your best friends like dogs if it's necessary, or will you change? And, and one thing that I think we can observe from Urban Meyer from his time at Florida uh, when, I, when I was around him down there and to here is that he won't. He's not changed. He's pretty much the same when it comes to the way he goes about his business. So how will he coach? Because he coaches his coaches. How will he coach his buddies? And he's got a lot of them on the staff, my friend, and in big positions. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I keep going back to like a Richard Licklider movie where, you know, everybody's bros, we're all hanging out, yeah. we're all having fun. <laughs> but like, I don't, that's obviously not the way it's going to be. It's going to be much more terrifying and high stakes than that. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they say that you should never, you know, live with your best friend and they, they, right. they say you shouldn't hire your friends and stuff like that. I mean, it's worked out. I, I think they're all professionals. I think they know how to handle themselves, but yeah, I, I'm really, I'm really curious to see how that's going to work out. Especially, I mean, let's say one of the units under underperforms and it doesn't work out the yeah. way they want it to. Who's going to have that conversation with? Well, you know, I know you were <laughs> in my wedding, or I know like we've known each other for 40 years, but you're going to have to, you know, pound sand and hit the tracks. Like, I just, I, I, it's hard to envision myself saying something like that, but I'm also not Urban Meyer. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's going to be a really interesting dynamic. And especially the kind of things that he demands from his staff. You know, what if they don't want to do it? Yeah. And what if they're not used to being talked to a certain way? I mean, it worked with Shiano. Exactly. Um, I I mean, I know for a fact that there were guys on the staff when Urban first got here who did not appreciate the way that he talked to them and the way he treated them and the double standard. Um, So, you know, does he he treat Greg Shiano? My guess is he doesn't treat Greg Shiano the same way he treats Zach Smith. Um, I wouldn't think, and he has <laughs> connections with both, frankly, you know, like Zach, you know, obviously his connection with Earl is, is, you know, next to his dad is one of the closest people urban's to in his life. Um, and you know, Zach's his grandson. So you got Zach, Shiano Davis and Kevin Wilson and Wilson to me is the most interesting because, uh, Shiano can do his job and Wilson is that proficient at his job, but Wilson, uh, Shiano is not Shiano coaching defense is not urban specialty. Right. Wilson in the offense is. I mean, Urban is one of the innovators of of the spread. And Wilson ran it incredibly well at Oklahoma and and very well at Indiana. And I'm guessing that there were conversations between the two. And there was something from from signing day when we had the availability with Urban where he said that he's going to, you know, kind of keep his hands out of that. 
He can say that all he wants. <laughs> I simply do not believe him. I yeah. choose to because I don't think he's capable of that, Johnny. I, he's not a hands-off guy. No. He's he's all hands-on all the time, especially with the offense. So that will be a really interesting dynamic into the fall. Yeah. Yeah, he's not a handsome guy. <laughs> he's not gonna be able to leave that alone. Yeah, I mean that's 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 kind of ludicrous. And, and there, like you said, I mean, there's a lot of these guys who aren't used to having that interaction, or at least being in that position in terms of the coaching staff. Now, like I said, that was my main concern with Shiano is that I didn't think he would be able to adapt to that. But I guess maybe him and Urban are just on such the same kind of wavelength that you know it's it's not as big of a deal. But yeah, right. I don't know. It's it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. We're gonna get a chance to look at it here in about a month or so. So, you know. Yeah, and that I think you're headed for an interesting spring. Oh yeah, so Absolutely. many new. So I mean, I don't know that he's ever had this kind of turnover in all of his coaching. I don't know if he's ever had this kind of turnover where you're replacing offensive and defensive coordinators. Right. Correct. I mean, I mean that's yeah. a that's a that's a heavy that's a heavy load to bear when you're replacing yeah. offensive and defensive coordinators. Now you, he hired incredibly competent people, but you all got to be on the same page. And so it, the, he'll, I bet he spends a lot of time this spring coaching his staff for what to, what, what he expects out of them when you get into fall, fall camp. Um, right. He benefits tremendously offensively by getting JT Barrett back. Um, but there are, there are big questions that need answered. You know, and we'll get into this as we get closer to spring football. We get into some spring football preview, but there are enormous questions to be answered that 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 people who he hasn't worked with in this way are going to have to help him provide, and and that to me is this. You're headed for a really interesting spring, and I'm looking forward to 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 checking it out and getting a real feel for for how he's going to go about his business this spring, how he's going to develop this coaching staff, and how some of these young kids are going to have to get plugged in and played. Um, because there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of familiarity on this staff uh, with urban from a personal standpoint. So um, like I said, that, that story never goes away. Um, let's, let's shift gears to a couple of former Buckeye players who have had really great weeks and let's start with Nate Ebner. Okay. So Nate Ebner, everybody knows by now, one of the you know, best rugby players in, in the, in the country, if not, you know, I suppose in the world, certainly he was, Team USA and um, was was that as a kid and is it was a walk on at Ohio State and was drafted by the Patriots um, as a special teams player. I knew him from his Hilliard Davidson time and we did some stories on him when he was young and uh, obviously the tragedy with his dad, which most people here listening probably if you don't know his dad was murdered, um, yeah. you know robbed and murdered and just an awful awful story. And uh, Nate and his dad were best friends. I mean, it was really the storybook father son relationship. And, um, Nate gets shockingly drafted by the new England Patriots at the time, because there were kids on that Ohio state team who played a lot on offense and defense and didn't get drafted. And he did. And, and then he stuck and it's like a great special teams player for them. And yeah. Belichick saw the value in him and loves him. And, yeah. And Belichick. So I was huge fan. Of his. He just loves him. Which, and honestly, I mean, he's earned that. I mean, Ebner yeah, goes to like the great. Pro Bowl on special teams and stuff. He's not, he's not, you know, just kind of screwing around here. Like the dude is legitimately great at special teams. I think a lot of people yeah. tend to take that for granted and they don't realize in the NFL, those are critical positions that they take very seriously. They don't just put in a starter and hope that they'll do okay. I mean, well, those John, are... did you see what New England was doing in the, in the second half of the Super Bowl when they were kicking it to like the two yard line? 
yeah. and and making Atlanta bring it out to like the right. twelve. And because they know the gunners are going to get down there and tackle them. I mean, that Ebner's was really- down there. Right. Yeah, Ebner's down there giving arm bars. I mean, like you you saw him every time right around the football. Um, yep. And I I will confess, I was rooting for the Patriots because I hate Roger Goodell and I think the flake <laughs> game was just the biggest waste of time in the history of the world. And I can't yeah. believe that he did that and like dug in on that. It was just so ridiculous. And so I wanted the awkward exchange between Brady and Goodell. Um, so that was that I had that that rooting interest. And then, you know, Nate made it easier to root, you know, to root for them with, with Ebner. So his, his life is, is a book. I mean, it's, it really is from the, from the tragedy to the hero, to what it's become. And I'm watching the uh, Patriots parade today and I see Nate Ebner and he's drinking Natty light (laughs) and he's got this great beard and he's just pounding Natty lights. And I just think, can you imagine in his wildest dreams, if he ever considered that being his life, you know, like a Super Bowl, cha- two-time Super Bowl champion now, yep, drinking Natty Light, driving through Boston on a Super Bowl championship parade, uh, playing World Cup rugby, Olympic rugby. I mean, what a what a success story! We spend so much time, um, and and rightfully so, because it's where all the passion is. You know, discussing JT Barrett or Terrell Pryor before him, or you know, Jared Sullinger, D'Angelo Russell, or, you know, all of these guys in the money sports who make all, you know, make, get all this attention, all this stuff. But we talked about Kyle Snyder and now we're talking about Nate Ebner. And these are to me that you call it corny, whatever, like to me, it's, there's a purity in the, in the sport of it with both those guys and Ebner's success. I, I mean, I'm as happy for his success as, as damn near anybody because yeah. boy, does he deserve it. And it's, it's just really cool to see. It's just, you know, it's one of those things where you're right. I mean, we focus on the guys who are the superstars, Rex and Millers, whoever, and, and we know that, you know, players like that are going to do really well, you know, Ezekiel Elliott or whoever. But it's right. cool to see someone make a niche for themselves to make a career for themselves that is something that they're really good at that maybe not everybody appreciates. And I just think that was really, like, the sp- stuff of special teams, the fact that he's so multifaceted as an athlete is really cool. And yeah. it's Again, like it's a success story that you actually you feel more appreciative of because it felt like the guy had to work so hard for it. And mm-hmm. it's one of those situations like, you know, the, the Browns just got Tyvis, right? I mean, we love Tyvis Powell, and I'm sure our good friend Pat Max up there in, in Cleveland is, is losing his mind right now because <laughs> he actually has something fun or someone fun to talk to. Um, but like, I, you know, that's the kind of story that I really enjoy. That's part of why I keep coming back to sports and football and other things like that, because that's fun and that's cool. And, yeah. and clearly, I mean, you know, you ran through Boston drinking Natty Light. You, you, you've done something pretty, you know, pretty okay in your life. If you've you got thousands it. of people screaming your name, getting <laughs> on the float and doing that stuff. So, I mean, good for him. I wasn't rooting for the Patriots because I think I dislike Tom Brady more than I dislike Roger Goodell. Although, frankly, now, that why, is a very good point on your part. Is it just the um, Michigan thing, or is there more no, to it? No, it's not the Michigan thing. I don't really care about that. It's just, I just, I think he's very insincere in a lot of ways, and I just, I wanted to see Atlanta get a win. Frankly, I wanted the, I wanted the Migos to get it. I wanted the, you know, I wanted the. Well, you the, always the, told me that you always like the underdog anyway, right? Like so you yeah. always root for the you, you. I think you've told me before you always root for like the underdog in the NCAA tournament and. Yeah, I'm I'm a yeah. huge underdog guy, and I want to see yeah. a city that doesn't get a lot of championships to get one. Um, yeah. I think I think the like the last one was like what like ninety six or ninety five with the Braves. Yeah, the Braves ninety five. Yeah, yeah, and, and 
to be fair, I'm actually extremely bitter about that year because I believe that the Braves beat the Reds in the playoffs, and that was like, you know, when I was conscious enough to actually remember the Reds being good. Remember the Reds. <laughs> they won. They won in '90, and I was five years old, and I I remember almost nothing of it, and I would kill to see a Reds World Series. Yeah, but um, yeah, I just want Atlanta to get a win. And, you know, it's like yeah. Boston, like you know, yeah, it's like crazy. They, the the Red Sox thing's over. That was done over ten years ago. So I'm I'm done yep. with them winning. They can wait for a little bit. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing because if I was talking to a buddy of mine who grew up in Boston and he wasn't old enough to remember the '86 Celtics, so he, like right. the, his whole formidable years, there was nothing. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots were terrible for the majority of that time. The Celtics were god awful. After I mean, Reggie Lewis died, so I mean they didn't have anything after Larry Bird. I mean it was Larry Bird, and then they fell off a cliff. Right. Um, and then uh, the Red Sox obviously had been waiting for a hundred years, so there was, you know. And then now all of a sudden they just win everything, and it, it is crazy. And I can see why you wouldn't uh, certainly like Brady. I mean, he's probably has, you know, the best. I mean, he's he's the best. I think he's the best quarterback of all time. Yeah, he's he married one of the most beautiful women in the history of the world. Um, <laughs> Oh, like, I'm definitely not, Bridget. not petty. I'll tell you that right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, like, he <laughs> knocked up Bridget Moynihan. He gets free Uggs. Like, right. what's not to love? Like, he's got it all. He's got, right. like, the whole damn thing. Yeah. The only thing that I do think is really cool about him is he was a sixth-round pick. Oh, and, yeah. And the, and the picture like of him in his underwear at the Combine is yeah, the funniest thing great. in the universe. And the fact um, that he still brings up that he was picked 199th and right. all that stuff's pretty cool. And the other yeah. thing I would say about it is um, – and and we can thank Ezekiel Elliott for this. It's a it's it was about time that Ohio State got like a cool pro, because Michigan had like a run with Woodson and then into Brady, where like some of the best players in football at cool positions were Michigan players. That's so true. It's, yeah. Zeke came along at the right time, and he can kind of carry the flag for the next few years, as so that Ohio State has somebody they can say, well, yeah, Zeke Elliott. You know, you need that. You need to have somebody that you can kind of lean on. So Zeke came along just at the right time before you get too inundated uh, with with the Michigan stuff over the last 15, 20 years on the pro front. You brought up Tyvis Powell. Um, as happy as I am about Nate Ebner, I'm equally as happy as Tyvis Powell. Tyvis Powell was an intern of mine at Channel 10. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, he interned with us. Yeah. And um, I remember we put him on air a lot. And of course, he was a natural. He's right. a ham, as anybody on the site would know. He's yes. naturally very funny naturally um yeah. he he could be with a little bit of work a stand-up comedian like he has that kind of delivery he's to me he's that funny naturally um yeah. his and then the other thing about him is there's two other things number one and then the number two is he's a leader people follow him um whatever room he's in he's he's one of the people that people gravitate to uh the last thing is he can play and right. the seahawks hated giving him up and they basically were forced into it when they acquired Devin Hester because they were trying to make a run at the Super Bowl. They wanted to continue to develop him. They really thought he could be, you know, their next undrafted guy like Doug Baldwin that developed into a into a stud. And he was in the toughest defensive back room in the in the league, um, in in Seattle. And they hated giving him up. And so for him to get to come home, where every time you'd start the season and you'd ask him something silly like to project the Browns' record, he'd say sixteen and zero. And now he gets to be a part of it is awesome. And it, I will root for him as, as much as I root for anybody next year, in the NFL, I'll root for that kid to have, a, you know, cause I think he can play and I think he'll make an impact with them. Um, but this is a hometown kid and he's from here. Yeah. So this, this is a pretty sweet story. 
Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it. I mean, Tyvis Powell, one of the things I always loved is when we would, you know, interview him and we would get video and stuff, and the guy is just magnetic. Like, it's just, yes. you want to know what he is going to say. And some people are just natural performers. Some people have the ability to... It's not just that they're entertaining. It's not just that they're funny. But you actively want to listen to them. Like, you are you are curious about what they're going to say next, not because they're outrageous or crazy or anything like that, but because they can make a connection with you immediately. And Tyvis mm-hmm. Powell is one of those guys who can just snap you into what he's saying every time yeah. he opens his mouth. Um, so I, I just think that's awesome. I think he's going to be a really good addition to the Browns, which, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's the Browns. So yeah. I don't know, you know. It's kind of like you know a, a curse from a witch or something like that. But I, I think well, if look, they can use him. Yeah, I mean you he know, can he's play. Get I a mean, chance. The dude's yeah. not gonna sit on the bench. Yeah, they're they're gonna have again. They'll have one of the youngest teams in the NFL. They're not gonna be very good, but right. they're you know it's gonna depend on this draft. But I mean he's gonna have an opportunity right. uh, to make a real impact and play. And um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be it's cool. So I anytime I see those kids and they're. The one thing that's nice about football, and even more so than basketball, is with football, you do get kind of a chance to meet, to know these kids, because they do a lot of availabilities at Ohio State, and they there's a lot of opportunities. So a kid like Tyvis Powell, who started for three years, was in front of the media and got to, you get to know him over right. the course of that time. And unlike, you know, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of the basketball kids are, if they're, you know, back when I was covering them on a daily basis, they were come and gone, and you, you hardly got to know them. Um, but the football program, you get to know a lot of these guys and Tyvis is a one. And I think if you asked anybody at the site, he's one of the guys that we all rooted for. I saw Doug LaMaurice of, of the plain dealer was so excited to write, like he, he tweeted some joke, like, um, now here's part one of my seven part series on Tyvis Powell. Like he thinks, you know, like that he's, <laughs> right. that, he's that interesting of a guy. So, um, so I was excited to see that as well. Um, before we get to ask us anything, I, so you, uh, and I haven't seen you in person in a long time. Uh, probably that's been a bit. We we did that little maybe. photo thing for about five seconds, and then oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was quick. We did the quick photo thing, but in terms of spending time with you, longer time, four or five years, yeah, it's been probably. a while. And I saw you on on the social media. Yeah, you, <laughs> you, you, you're doing some bench pressing, buddy. You got yeah, two twenty five up today. Well, I'm trying to get you know trying to get in shape. I, I got two twenty five. I got those two plates up on the on the bench, so I was happy about that. Nice. How do you um, have time? Oh, you, you don't have kids yet. That's why. I did right. No, that's that's, that's right. exactly yeah. why. Um, I I you know I I get the dad strength when that comes, but it it doesn't necessarily translate into to lbs on the bar. Um, here's the thing I'll say about that real quick. So, like I talk about this, I think maybe a little too much, but when I used to live in Japan, uh, I ate like garbage. I lived like garbage. I lived in garbage because I didn't I didn't clean my room very well or my apartment very well. <laughs> And I came back from Japan, like, first of all, I was teaching in middle schools. So I had about seven different middle schools I was rotating around. And the standard thing that you do as a teacher in these middle schools, is you have to eat with the students. And not only do you eat with the students, you have to eat the same food that they're eating, which is the school food. They, almost nobody brings their lunch in Japan. Okay. So, so I was eating essentially the same amount of calories that a, you know, a, an 11 or 12 year old Japanese child would eat, which I'm going to tell you something, Bo, isn't a lot. Um, so I lost an enormous amount of weight living in Japan. I wasn't making food for myself. I'd go to like, you know, convenience stores and eat their food. Uh, okay. when I came back from Japan, I weighed like 160 and I'm, I'm about six wow. two. Like I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty tall guy. Yeah. Yeah. You got some height to you, kid. Yeah. And now, you know, I was like, when I came back, I was just weak and tired all the time. And you know, I started to find out I was lactose intolerant. So I just felt like crap. And I, I made a decision that I was going to try to 
turn my health around a little bit. And the past two years, I guess, I've been taking it fairly seriously. And I'm not very, I'm not going to say that I'm good at any of this, but um, mm-hmm. I've tried to be really consistent about it. And now I, I feel like I'm sitting around 210, 215, and I, I feel good about that. Like, I'm not good yeah. at working out, but I feel good about the fact that I am doing it. So, I don't know. Nice. I just feel like if, if people are getting into it, they should do it because it's, it's fun. And when you put up those two plates, you feel like a badass. I mean, you're not, yeah, but you feel cool, like man. it. So... I, my yeah. my goal was this and Bo, this is serious. My my goal was uh how how and this is how my brain works. I was like, you know, if you put up two twenty five, technically you can do the bench press of the NFL combine. If you think about nice. it. Nice. Right? They'll just put you they'll they'll put that one up there, right? That's all I can do right now. Yeah. But they'll put yeah. that one up and that's up that's there. still the same number as everybody else who was doing it. So So Rich Eisen can run the forty and you can do one bench press. Damn right. That's right. That'll work. <laughs> That'll work. One. All right, buddy. We got any ask us anything today? Yeah, we got a couple of ask us anything. Uh, right. You guys can uh, get us up on uh, Twitter there with at uh, 11 Dubcast, or you can send us emails, um, dubgast at 11warriors.com. Uh, this one's from Aaron. He says, uh, do you think JT would be the starter if there was no change on the offensive coaching staff? Yes. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I don't think we need to go any change. deeper than that. Yeah, I think, you know, I think as fans, we... We we tend to well in society in general. Look, every, sure. everybody's in a silo right now, and um, you get around enough people bitching about JT Barrett and what he lacks. You you can't see through the forest through the trees, and you you are you lose the fact of what he is. Look, this guy's the Big Ten offensive MVP. Okay, yeah. so that's what coaches think of him. That that's what that's what Urban Meyer thinks of him. Urban Meyer getting JT Barrett back and the amount of trust that Urban has in JT, and if you don't trust Urban. From a an, an talent evaluation standpoint, I can't help you. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, it's just not close. Like, I'm sorry, it's not close. There's nobody yeah. on the roster that is in the same vicinity as him as a college football quarterback at this time. Haskins may turn into that. Martell may turn into it. Joe Football may turn into it. But right now, he's first and second's eighth. Yeah. Now, I the battle know. for backup quarterback is going to be fun. I can't wait to see that. Oh, that's going to be if insane. It's, I'm, I'm, if it's I'm wide open, that'll that. be fun. Right. And and here's what I would say. Like we've gotten this question in various forms a number of times, and I don't get it. Like I don't know. I mean, how easy do people think it is to just step into college quarterbacking and do it? Like I don't. Well, you know, don't like, you think though? It goes to my point, and we we see it in politics, where sure. especially with social media, where you just if you are if your belief, if the only people that you listen to are people who corroborate your belief, sure. you don't see it any other way other than the way that you perceive it. And, right. and that's, I think, what happens. It happens in sports all the time, and now it's just made its way to politics. But it, it happens in sports all the time. Where and now with social media, like you can mute people who disagree with you, or you can unfollow people who disagree with you. You can basically surround yourself with people who are only like thinking, yeah. and and it's plaguing our political system right now. And and now we have it on a you know, and you have it in sports with 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 this JT thing. If you surround yourself with people who only think that he sucks, then that's what you start to believe. Yeah. If you hear it enough, you believe it to be true. Well, and one of the things that I tell my students all the time is that it's incredibly seductive to be to want to be right all the time. You know what I mean? It is. Like it's it's it's, it's so seductive. It is so easy to just surround yourself with opinions that confirm your beliefs and because people want to be right. People have this desire to be correct about things. And now right. more than ever, it is so easy to convince yourself that you're right all the time because you can just filter yeah. out things that tell you that you're wrong and you have to be able, you have to be strong enough to avoid that. Not saying our friend Aaron is necessarily doing that, 
But, no, I'm not throwing stones at him. I'm yeah. just saying, we, you, to your point, we but, get this all the time. You get it all the time, and I yeah. just don't think it's it's just, it's just it becomes not, an echo chamber. It's not reality. You, yeah, and you've got to you've got to open yourself up to to some different thought there. All right, this yeah. from uh, this from A. Aaron, uh, the real A. Uh He says, "Is Mickey Marotti the most irreplaceable coach on staff?" No, Urban Meyer is. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's say that. Then. <laughs> aside from well, yes, but aside from Urban Meyer. We do a lot of replacing around these parts. I mean, I would say that's an interesting one because you'd get me hard pressed to say that a strength coach would be right. But Urban trusts Volt and Mickey unequivocally more than yes. anybody else. Yes. If you if you think about this, and this is the pay attention to this next year when you're watching Ohio State football play. When I used to go to every game and cover every game, and I would watch with binoculars, and I would if a player was down. I picked up on this early on um, of Urban's tenure. If a player was down with an injury, if I found Mickey Marotti, I could figure out what happened to the kid. Because hmm. when a kid goes down, Mickey runs to the injury, finds out what it is, and then races to tell Urban. Every time. Every time a kid is down, Mickey goes first. To, and then if I could lip read, Mickey would tell Urban what it is. And hmm. so there's a there, – look, Urban gets – I think there's a relationship with all of his coaches. But the trust that he has with Voltolini and Marotti supersedes all others. Pantone's probably kind of getting into that realm too. But he has some guys that are his guys, like way back guys. And Volt yeah. and Mickey are those guys. I don't know if Mickey is the most irreplaceable coach on staff, but I, I think he's a lot higher than a lot of the other position coaches that maybe some people because I mean the, the point isn't whether these guys are good. They're a lot of these guys are clearly good. I mean Shiano's right. an incredible defensive coach. It's just whether you can replace them or not. I you know, there are a lot of programs with some really bad strength coaches. And one of the things I've been thinking about in terms of high state basketball is what's going on with air conditioning. But um like that, yeah. but I you know I think guys like you know Marati and Pantoni, those are the people who kind of make the they they continue the program when there's a ton of attrition on the coaching staff you have to have some guys who keep those things going those are some of the guys who do that and especially when you've got people who are in the weight room all the time and people are out in the field yeah. like you know getting guys you know conditioned correctly I, I think that's an essential part of the team and I think he is a big part of it uh is he yeah, the most trust, trust. they're know, backbone but... guys right yeah, they're exactly. the backbone of the program and yeah and they're the tr- urban's trust in them I would say Voltolini Marathi and now probably Pantone over the last couple of years because of the way he's proven himself. I mean, those guys, I think Urban trusts more than anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so the next one here, we got, we got two more. We got one from uh, Jordan who says, uh, what is our favorite Ohio State tradition? Could be university-wide or just personal maybe to us. You go first. You're the alumni. Yeah, so here's the thing. I, obviously, I love all the football-related traditions when you talk about Script Ohio and the Bells and the Almaner, all that kind of good stuff. I mean, that's great. I was trying to think of something that wasn't explicitly football related because that's always the go-to like skull session or whatever. Sure. Um, and, and I enjoy those things. I'm not trying to crap on script Ohio or anything like that. I sure, don't right. But <laughs> I was trying to think as a student, what's something that I really, really love to do. And um, I don't know. I, I think a lot of the stuff that happens on the oval, at least while I was at Ohio state, especially during the winter, uh, especially mm-hmm. during like fall events or things like that. Those are the things I really, really valued as a student. 
um, going out with my friends in the Oval and making like giant, you know, snowmen or whatever, making an igloo or something like that. Just enjoying the Oval itself, I think, is a good tradition. Like the first nice day after winter when it's like, you know, that week that Ohio teases you with where it's like 75 degrees and then plunges you right back down to 40. But for that first week, I think on the Oval as a student, it's unbelievable because the entire campus just wants to hang out. So separating myself from the football stuff, that would probably be my favorite one as a student, I think. So every place that's big like this has cool stuff. And Ohio State football's got a million cool things. But the the thing that separates it from from all the rest is, is the reverence the fans have for the band. Yeah. Every other place that I have covered and been to big time college football games, when halftime comes, they go to the bathroom and they go get a drink. Every other place, <laughs> the stadium yeah. empties um, for those two things. And the first time I went to Ohio Stadium, it blew my mind that nobody moved. I mean, it was halftime and nobody moved. <laughs> I'm like, what, what the hell's going on? And they're like, oh, they're going to do script Ohio. Oh, yeah, that's cool. But nobody moved. They've all seen it a thousand <laughs> times and they don't move at halftime. There's no yeah. place else in the country that does that. Um, so that to me was the not having the, you know, the student experience. And the, look, every every school's got a lot of cool stuff like, you know, the Buckeye Grove and, you know, the Buckeye Lee. Everybody's got cool stuff like that. That I mean, Ohio State's got a lot of them. But but that's what struck me as my first game at Ohio Stadium. I'll never forget it. Like just that nobody moved at halftime. That was yeah, stunning. Halftime shows, especially recently, are just completely insane. I mean, just yeah. going back no, several but- years. Um, so yeah. that's that's obviously been a really big one. All right, last one here. This is uh, this is from a good pal, Alvin. He says, if you could cover another uh, football team instead of Ohio State, which schools would we choose and why? Um, well, I got to cover Florida State and Florida in the in the South, and those were yeah. I, you know Bobby Bowden's Florida State program was really cool to cover because at that time in the early two thousands, it was before the advent of uh, massive fan sites. So, okay. so you, you had carte blanche. I mean, I could go to every practice. I could, um, watch every practice. I could watch every scrimmage. Uh, I had a standing interview with Bobby Bowden at his house every Monday at one o'clock in season and out of season. And his wife, Ann would every once in a while, give you a little banana pudding. Um, <laughs> I've had to pick up Chick-fil-A for Bobby Bowden at times, when, when a couple of Chick-fil-A sandwiches. I mean, like that, so that was awesome. So I, my thing would be not so much the school to cover, but who's a coach that I would like to, if I could have really a lot of access, you know, kind of like the access we had at, when I was at Channel 10 when we did the coaches shows, um, what coach would I want to be around and, and really get to know? And the guy that would have been the most fun would have been Les Miles at LSU. Yes, correct. And I would have loved to have been around Les Miles at LSU. And that program's amazing. And the fan support's amazing, and it's different because it's you know it's Cajun, so it's right. It's, that is right. a cool. It's a fun town. Uh, that would be a unique experience to go cover a Les Miles LSU team, and I I would think it would be a lot of a lot of fun, much like you know what for me what it was like is when I was a kid covering Bobby's program at Florida State. So okay, so I was thinking about this question in a couple of different ways. The first way is if I wanted to enjoy life the most, for me personally, I would probably go. Uh, up to University of Washington and check that out because I think that would just be yeah. really, really nice in Great so town. many different ways. Um, I think that would be really cool to cover. And, and I, I think Peterson's an incredible coach and I think he's, you know, just be really cool to cover. 
However, if you're talking about intrigue or maybe just, you know, complete bonkers, whatever, I I mean, Les Miles at LSU would have been the, the choice That's a guy. there. Yeah. I was trying to think outside the box a little bit. I was going to say okay. North Dakota State University. And the reason why I say that is because I feel <laughs> like that place is run like the freaking mafia. And yeah. they, they have some kind of monopoly over that level of college football that I yeah. just want to know what the hell is happening. <laughs> okay, so let me interject because if okay. we, where you sh- if you're going to do that, then let me sway you and, and have your choice be the University of Montana. Because okay. they're very good at one double A two, and you can live right. in Missoula instead of what is it, Fargo? You can live yeah, in Missoula, so, yeah. <laughs> which is great. I mean, that's where a river runs through. It was filmed. It's sure. a great college town. Like you can mount, you can do all the things you like right outside your door, and right. you don't have to live in Fargo. So <laughs> Fargo's death. You don't want to be in Fargo. But that's, that's I, very I, fair. I, I will defer to your expertise on this. Yeah, like how it would be fat. Like what in the hell? What's in the water there? How are they doing that? Uh, but at the same time, my friend, I will stop you from living in Fargo, North Dakota. There's no reason <laughs> that I would ever sentence you to that. So if you right. want to do the one double A thing, move to Missoula, Montana. By the way, that would be a great spot for you. Um, you'd do very well there. You would. You'd crush it. You'd crush Missoula, Montana. That'd be good for you. That'd be a good spot. Not yeah. that I'm trying to run you out of Ohio, but that'd be a good no. spot for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's, that seems like my kind of my kind of town. So I think that'd be yeah. The cool. most important thing to answer the question is, and and this gets to the root of it all, and is you as somebody if you're going to cover a program or if you're like us and you've got a site that has this incredible following and incredible reach the the key to it all is you have to have passion for the program yes yep you can't go be like you like nobody wants to go cover arizona state football scottsdale's great but nobody gives a damn right like you you have to go someplace for the and that's why really columbus is is the one of the two or three unique markets in the country where you can work in a relatively big market and cut the college football passion is the top most important thing. I mean, it's Columbus, Ohio. Baton Rouge has become a pretty, has become a bigger town since Katrina, but it's really right. just Columbus, Ohio and Austin, Texas. They're the only yeah, two. Say, I mean, there's like, there's literally That's two it. markets. Yeah, yeah. Those are the only two where you, they are big cities that have everything you'd want from a city standpoint. And then college football runs the town. They're the only two that are like that. So that's interesting. Columbus, we're blessed. We're very blessed that yeah, absolutely. We're well, we're at. there aren't many better situations. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so that's ask us anything. Uh, please continue to send us in questions. It was really good this week. So we definitely want more of that, please. Yeah, absolutely. And, sub- and subscribe. We encourage you to subscribe and, and rate uh, rate us if you're so kind. We'd appreciate that, especially on iTunes if you can. Um, yep. And, uh, th- you know, these these shows over the next couple of weeks before we get to spring football, we'll get back into some real nuts and bolts. Um, these will be some potpourri shows because, yeah. especially with the basketball team, just kind of <laughs> spinning its wheels. Man. We haven't had to deal with this before. So this is, this, this is new territory for all of us. Uh, all right, my friend. Good stuff, buddy. Yep. Talk to you next week. All right. See you next week.